what you have for them this day. I pray, Lord, for articulation of your heart, for the manifestation and the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation. And we give you thanks and we give you praise in advance for everything that you'll do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, everyone that say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 1 is where we're going to pick up again with our series on kingdom concepts. And then we, of course, gotten to the point now where we're looking at understanding how we are supposed to walk as a believer. Or we can even call it as this particular section of our teaching is the formula for effective, fruitful Christian living. The formula for effective, fruitful Christian living. And as I was saying just momentarily, uh, well, a few minutes ago, was essentially that I am coming to grips with the fact that everybody, every Christian is not looking at, looking to be fruitful in their Christian walk. We say that, but I'm starting to be convinced that people don't understand that it does cost something. People love to look at great anointed men and women of God and say, oh, what anointing they walk in. Well, it costs you something. They like to see how people operate and flow in the gifts of the Spirit. And unfortunately, in our day, a lot of people don't know the difference between operating in the flesh and operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Because if you don't have the proper discernment, you'll think there's something spiritual when it's not even biblical. And so, in our last days, the way we live today, we got to be careful about how we look at things. If you don't have the correct lens, the devil can set you up with all kind of counterfeits instead of you getting hold of the authentic. The authentic things of God have life attached to them, but the counterfeit always just gratifies the flesh. So it becomes incumbent at some point in time for us to get God's heart is to get into his word to find out what is his heart, what is his expectations for us, in the kingdom life. And so we've been looking at specifically in this section of our teaching, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number uh, 1, um, I believe through 10. I'm going to read this really quickly because we are going to uh, get to this particular area um, of our assignment this morning. It says once again, verse number 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you, but he says, through the knowledge of God and of our Lord and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby we are given un, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the world through lust. Verse 5. And besides this, giving all diligence, notice he says, Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and into brotherly kindness charity, or the word can be inserted love. 
He says, verse number eight, for if these things be in you and abound, if they're in you, these areas, these eight areas are in you and they abound, he says, they make that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The beginning of our particular uh, passage of scripture begins telling us that knowledge is available. But he says, if these areas they are growing in you and they are abounding in you, he says, you won't be barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord, um, of, Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, but he that lack of these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brother, he says, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never, never, never fall. So if these areas that he just indicated to you are in you and they are abounding in you, we've made the connection, he says, that essentially ye shall never fall. So if you are having some failures in your life where your Christian walk is concerned, we can look back at these eight areas and determine which one of these is the issue. Which one of these are you lacking in? Which one of these are the reason why you are in fact having this failure within your Christian walk? So he essentially says these eight ingredients of this, what I define as a formula, is to start with faith. Start with faith. And then he says, add virtue. He indicates add knowledge, add self-control, add steadfastness or patience, add godliness, or another translation literally says reverent wonder, to add brotherly affection and to add love. He says, if these areas are in you and they are bound, ye shall never fall. If these, these areas are not something that you have mentally ascended to, but it's something that's coming from the abundance of your heart, he says, ye shall never fall. Why do I indicate that? Because these areas have to come from the inside out for, they, for them to be sustained in your life. Because a lot of people are trying to act holy act like a Christian, but it ain't in them yet. And one of the reasons why it's not really in them yet is because they are not convinced living godly is beneficial for them. Until you get to the point where you start to see, okay, living God's way is beneficial for me, then I won't really conform to the way God wants me to live. I was talking with my sister this morning, and I was uh, talking to her about the illustration that I heard uh, Willie George give when we were in Tulsa some years ago. He talked about when we, uh, he talked about in Oklahoma, there are still areas of the state where there are wild horses. They're able to just roam free. And they have, if you will, their liberty. Yes, they do, untamed to no one. And he said he went out there and he started to look at some of them. And he, he told us by example, he said, I thought originally when I saw these wild horses that they would be beautiful horses. But he said, as I began looking at these horses out that were free, untamed, unkept, unbroken, if you will, he said, I began to see that there is something about them that's distinct. 
And he said the distinction about it was essentially that they weren't pretty horses. They were quite ugly because they were unkept. They had liberty, they had freedom, but they didn't have any beauty, they didn't have any purpose because they were essentially out and about doing whatever it is they wanted to do. He said, on the other hand, if you go to where we keep the horses over at the stables and we tend to the horses, we feed them a regular diet so they grow strong. We take care of them, we brush them, we close, we do all of these things. In the wintertime, we put things over them that keeps them warm. We tend to them attentively because of the fact we care about them. And those horses are very beautiful. They're very strong because of the fact they are actually kept the correct way. And I began looking at that, and I thought about this example so many years. So many Christians think this level of grace, if you will, of freedom is an opportunity to live any kind of way you want to. As if there are not consequences for this kind of lifestyle. When God says, I'm calling you to holiness, I'm calling you to something that's good for you, but until you realize it's good for you, you'll never conform to it. As long as you think that this is the church trying to keep you from something, trying to keep you out of fun, you will never be what God's intended you to be. And what God's intended you to be is always better than what you currently are doing or what you think you are, or oper this opportunity to operate in freedom looks like. Drinking and smoking and doing all these things and suddenly you're killing yourself. When he says, I'm calling you to holiness, it's because I'm calling you for your lungs to be whole for all of your life and not just in your 20s. I'm calling you for your liver to be right into your 70s and your 80s and not for you to be dead at 50. When I'm calling you to live right, it's because I have a purpose that's assigned to your life that's going to make you better. But you've got to get to the point where you fully figure this out. That God really wants something good for me. He's not trying to fight me. He's calling me to holiness. He's calling me to conformity because it's good for me. Now, having said all of that, turn, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter number 6. 2 Kings chapter number 6. We have looked at, for the last couple of weeks, this area of faith and the next ingredient, this area of virtue. Area of faith and area of virtue. Let me insert this while you're looking for 2 Kings. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8 says, Finally, brethren, and we can conclude this area of virtue just with this because I think this just fits really good. I told you there's more to virtue than we were talking about in this series, but we're going to pick that up at a later, later time. It says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. Notice he says, if there be any virtue, he says, and if there be any praise, he says, think on these things. How do I increase the virtue in my life? I got to change the way I think. When I change the way I think, I begin to manifest that power of that virtue that God wants to place in your life. How do I do that? I got to focus my attention on the things of God over the things of the world. What influences me more? He says, if there be any virtue in them, any virtue in them. How many understand the word of God is full of virtue? 
He says, if there be any virtue and if there be any, uh, if there be any praise, he says, think on these things. Well, how in the world can you tell me think on these things if I didn't have the ability to do so? So I can choose what I meditate on. I can choose what I think about. I can choose to operate in the area of worry or I can choose to operate and think and concentrate my thinking on virtuous things. It's amazing the more times you spend time spending uh, opportunities to think on virtuous things, it keep you out of trouble. Okay, all right. Are we done with that? Amen. Second Kings chapter number six and verse number 16. Let's look at that. Second Kings chapter number six. As we move into this area of knowledge, the third area on the list. Second Kings chapter number six and verse number 16. Now the King James says, and he answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Verse 17, now the King James says, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. The story here is a story about Elisha's servant primarily. It's a story essentially where the king of Syria had a determination that he was going to fight against Israel, as I paraphrase the first portions of this. And so he would set different ambush against the children of Israel. But he had one problem. In the camp or in the cities of the children of Israel, there was this prophet named Elijah. And every time the, Syri the, the uh, Syrian army would come and attack or come against Israel, the prophet Elisha would essentially tell them what's going to happen, where to, where to go, and how to deal with it. It got so bad that the king of Syria was like, okay, we must have a spy in our camp. Why is it that every time we try to attack God's people or why we try to attack Israel, they seem to know what we're getting ready to do? And the scriptures say that, that the king of Syria's servant said essentially to him, that no, they, we don't have a spy, your majesty. What they have is a prophet. They have what they define as a man of God that tells them everything that we're getting ready to do. This man has so much insight, the Bible says, that they said to the king that he even knows what you're saying in your own bedroom. Let me take a side journey there. You know that we have more men and women of God, real prophetic anointings, so that when they prophesy to the nation, they don't have to do a retraction after the election's over. <laughs> That's one of the problems. We have so many fake and phony prophets today. They like the notoriety, but they don't have the gift. And you got to be able to discern the difference. See, when you have a real prophetic gift, when you speak something, it comes to pass. You don't have to issue a retraction. Amen. Now, <clears throat> side journey. So, <laughs> what was I saying? I had my little go. Um, so essentially, he said, no, even what's in his bedroom, he's able to tell you about. Now, so the king of Syria essentially said, okay, so what we got to do is we got to go against the prophet. Because if he's the issue, let's attack where he is. And that's what they did. So the king of, of Syria assembles every one of his army to go to Dothan, 
the area where Elisha is residing. And essentially they come by the thousands to Dothan and they surround the city. And what happens out of this is one day in the morning, Gehazi, which is Elijah's servant, wakes up. He didn't know that the army was here, but he wakes up. He goes down to get some water for the prophet. He's doing his regular routine. He looks down the mountain and he sees this army on the left, the right, in the front and behind. And Gehazi, just like anybody else, is filled with fear. He's looking and he's saying, we see an impossible situation. It looks bad. It looks like we're going to be overtaken, not, not, not slowly, but very quickly, because there are thousands of people that are against us. And to this answer, he, he goes up and he says, watch this, verse number 15. Let's look at this out of the, uh, uh, the New Living Translation. He says, verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning. He went outside and he went outside. There were troops, horses, chariots everywhere. He says, oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. So he's operating in fear based on what he sees because it looks bad. And Elisha responds out of the New Living Translation in verse 16, don't be afraid. Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on their side. The King James says, for there be more with us than, with the, than they that be with them. Now Gehazi, probably being like the rest of us, looked around and he saw all this army to the left, to the right. He saw this massive circumstance. He talks to the man of God and he says, man of God, don't you see the issue that we're with? And he says, the man of God responds, there's more with us than be with them. And I can imagine Gehazi saying, wait a minute now, there's me and then there's you. Last I checked, Elijah, that's still two. The Bible says there's thousands of these men that have set ambush, they're ready to attack us. The situation looks impossible. It looks like we are not going to make it. But the man of God says out of the King James, fear not. Behold, he says there's more with us. We have more going for us than what you see. And notice how he responds after this. He says, verse 17 out of the New Living Translation. He says, then Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes. And let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hill, that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots. I heard a preacher say, what God allowed him to really see is the discerning of spirits, which we understand in the New Testament. Elisha wasn't in fear. Because Elisha understood something about the situation that his servant didn't. Elisha saw and understood a concept that his servant did not get a comprehension of until his eyes were open. Because the more that be with them than they that be about was a reality before Gehazi actually saw it. 
It was that they were operating or they were already victorious in the realm of the spirit before they saw any manifestation. And God allowed him to see proper perspective so he could come where the man of God was. The man of God never moved into fear because he had some knowing about him. And that's what we are assigned to talk about this morning. This next area on this list is knowledge. Knowledge. Scriptures indicate to us, essentially, out of our text scripture, wait a minute, out of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 5, he says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, he says, knowledge. Add knowledge. What, therefore, is knowledge? Let's look at this word because it becomes important for us to understand because it's something that allowed Elijah not to operate in fear. It's something that kept Elijah in an area of faith even though the circumstances looked daunting. And if you follow out the story, it indicates to us later on that they were in fact very victorious and there was peace in the land because of the fact Elijah already stayed in faith. He stayed in faith instead of operating in fear. We'll look at that more on Thursday. But for the sake of this morning, what does he mean when he says, add to your faith knowledge? That word faith or knowledge there, it comes from a Greek word, gnosis, which the first way of interpreting it literally means science. The second way is the act of knowing. It's science and it's also the act of knowing. Add to your faith science. Well, let's define what that word science means. Because a lot of people think that, you know, Christianity and science don't mix. When the reality is there are so many scientists that were Christians. Because science is the observation of the laws of nature. And when we're talking about spiritual science, we're talking about observation of the laws of God. The clinical definition means knowing or knowledge of a system. Knowledge or a system of knowledge covering general truths or the operation of general laws, especially that obtain, as obtained and tested through scientific method, methods. It is the knowledge or a system of knowledge covering general truths. Another definition of the word science literally is something such as a support or no, something as such as a technique that may be studied or learned like a systematic or uh, uh, knowledge. So essentially what he's indicating to us that, that the word gnosis here, add to your faith knowledge, he's talking about add to your faith a system of knowledge of the general truths. Add to your faith, if you will, understanding of the techniques that you can study that can be added to and in your life. So we see out of this particular passage of scripture, there was something that Elisha understood. He understood, number one, observable truths. That he had experiences with God that he could observe. The Bible, it literally talks about just before this particular passage of scripture, an axe head that defied the law of gravity and floated on top of the water. Elisha had a double portion of Elijah's spirit. So he had knowledge of, the next term, techniques that he had learned about God. Elisha learned truths and techniques about God and the word technique literally comes from a word which literally means methods. So he has some under, he has some knowledge about God's truth 
and he had knowledge about God's techniques, how he operates. I understand that that must be the reason why he says that the just shall live by faith because the law of faith is the law of God, how we are to operate. And that's why he says to Elisha, uh, he says to uh, his servant, Fear not. In other words, stay in this area of faith because he had observed the technique of how to stay in faith in the midst of circumstances being contrary to what you believe. The second word, as we indicated to you a second ago, is the act of knowing. So the first uh, translation of this word, gnosis, is science. The second is the act of knowing. The act of knowing. He says, verse 16 again, and he answered, he said, fear not. Notice he says, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. So I essentially want to tell you that Elisha must have understood something about God. The act of knowing is connected to this notion of spiritual understanding. We understand the first concept is understanding the techniques, how God operates, his methods, the next is the act of knowing, which is spiritual understanding. So I dare say to you that Elisha did not have fear because his perception and judgment of the situation was unabated, unabated and undaunted. It was unabated and undaunted. The word unabated means being at full strength or force. Undaunted means courageously resolute, especially in the face of danger or difficulty. In other words, he was not discouraged. Why was he not discouraged? Because he knew something. When issues show up in your life, do you know something? When challenges where it looks like defeat shows up in your life, are you like Elisha's servant or are you like Elisha that can tell somebody else, fear not? They that be with us are more than they that are against us. Or you say, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, Jesus. You know, in the world today, the problem that we have in the church is that we act like God's not real. We act just like the world when the gas prices go up, when the market changes. We speak just like the world as if we don't serve a real and living God. When the world is looking for the church, say, fear not. Fear not. Don't worry about it. See, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And as long as the church is here, as long as we're here, all will be well. God will move a thousand people to the side to make sure everything is right because I'm on assignment. I'm a deployed citizen and my heavenly father has got my back. How many places can you walk in authority and understand that, yeah, everywhere God sets your feet, it's got to meet with success because if God sent you, it's going to be successful. You can look at an office and say, fear not. Don't you understand? They that be with us, I know y'all can't see nothing, but they that be with us are more than they that be against us. I know what it's like to be in an office and it looks like everything is falling apart. And they've been looking at our office for the last couple of months and say, it seems like things still seem to be working. And one of the reasons why I can say to the folks in the office, they that be with us are more than they that be against us. There's a supernatural thing that's happening that you can't see with your physical eye because you don't have the right spiritual lens. I'm not just in here by myself. I'm not just walking up these halls by myself. There's an unction to function in your divine assignment. But what does this come from? Knowledge. Knowledge. How 
do I operate this way? Knowledge is the key. And I submit to you, I looked at this, and the first time I ever looked at these passages of Scripture, I was looking, and I was saying, God, now, I need to understand. If knowledge shows up in the first passages of Scripture, you say, add to your faith, knowledge shows up here, but it shows up before he says, knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through the knowledge of him that's called us. All these kind of things, knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. I'm like, Lord, what, why do you not put knowledge ahead of faith and virtue? What's going on here? What is it about faith and virtue that you added that first and then you said knowledge? And this is the answer that I received. Faith is walking with God. It is trusting his word. It is, dare I say, learning to believe. Believe what? As we've said before, that God loves me. I am his child. God is limitless. God keeps his promises. God's agenda is good. What happens when I walk by faith, I decide to take God at his word. Like we said on Thursday, it's taking the chance that God keeps his word. When you begin walking by faith, you begin to gain experiences with God. That God, yeah, he met your bills here. Yeah, God met your needs here. God was able to heal you there. God was able to take care of you there. And as you begin to gain this information, you begin to draw a conclusion. The conclusion that you draw is, uh, dare I use the term, a science. What is a science? What we just indicated a minute ago. It is you are drawing a conclusion about God based on God's methods. Dare I say his techniques. Therefore, you are understanding the science of the kingdom. So the more I walk by faith, the more I begin to understand the science of how the kingdom operates here on the earth. So now we begin to understand why is faith first? Because God says without faith it's impossible to please God. A component of knowledge is therefore got to be understanding the science of kingdom faith. Second reason why we see or next reason why we see why virtue is ahead of knowledge is because virtue as we indicated on Thursday is learning about how to surrender and how to submit. Dare I say, virtue is about learning to believe that God's techniques, how he does things, his methods are good. It is where I learn to believe that, yeah, 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 I got to yield my life to God. I got to yield to his ways. I got to yield to his operations. Surrendering to his ways, yielding to what he wants, giving up myself, submitting to God's process and yielding to his government's consent to abide. And what begins to happen when I do this consistently and not just Sunday, I begin to gain a different perspective. I get knowledge about the area that submitting and sacrifice, submitting and surrender, submitting to God's ways are actually good. And then that begins to birth the area of knowledge. So the more I walk by faith, the more I begin to walk in the science of God. The more I begin to yield my life to God, I begin to get experience or I begin to understand his techniques. Your God, your methods are good. I begin to understand these things. The more I begin to understand these two concepts, that equals knowledge. What is knowledge, therefore? It is the conclusions. It is the understanding that produces spiritual understanding. It is the conclusions gained. 
It is the understanding gain that equals spiritual understanding. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians never move into this area of understanding or knowledge because they don't take the trip with God. God says, I need you to trust me here. You say, well, I don't want to because I'm you to trust in that. God says, take the journey. God says, okay, I need you to cut your attitude here and do it my way. You say, well, I don't want to. I got to cuss them out. So what you are doing is you are drawing a conclusion and you're gaining knowledge, but it's world knowledge and not kingdom knowledge. What God wants to do is reset the system that you begin to take him by the hand, take him by the trust of every area of your life. You begin to develop, you begin to get the concepts, you begin to walk by faith, begin to see him move in your life. And then as you do so, your attitude also begins to change. You begin to change from the inside out and then you begin to draw the correct conclusion through spiritual understanding that this is good for me. That's the reason why knowledge is number three on the list. Let's finish here at Proverbs chapter four and verse number seven. Proverbs chapter four and verse number seven. Familiar scripture. It says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In all thy, or in all your getting, he says, get understanding. The word understanding literally is the ability to comprehend. It means an individual's perspective or judgment of a situation. The word understand literally, it, it means, it, it's a compound word really when you think about it, understand. I change my stance to come under where you are. I change the position or my stance where I am currently standing, my perspective, and I come where you are. This is what Gehazi I had to do. The man of God says, they that be with us are more than they that be against us. So what he had to do is instead of looking at only what he saw naturally, he had to change his position and agree with what the man of God saw. And that's what allowed his eyes to open to see the reality of the realm of the spirit. I know some of the issues that we're facing are rough. I know some of the challenges that we have in front of us are rough. But I dare say to you, if you could see in the realm of the spirit, there'd be more that be with you than they that be against you. The thing that God called you to do, it looked like it ain't never going to happen. But God said, there's more that's with you than they, the those that you can see. So don't be moved by what you see. Don't be moved by what's in your account. Be moved by what he said. Proverbs chapter four and verse seven, I the expanded. Let's finish here. He says, Wisdom is the most important thing. So get wisdom. But he says the beginning of wisdom is to get and acquire wisdom. This is the expanded version. But look how it finishes up here. It says if it costs everything you have above all your acquisitions, acquisitions, he says get acquire understanding. Understanding child of God is the key. Understanding is the key to having victory in life. Understanding is the key for you not operating in worry. Understanding is the key for you to stay in faith. Because the more you understand from God's perspective, the less fear will be in your heart. The more you understand from God's perspective, the more you'll see that, yeah, if God says yes, it really doesn't matter about anybody else. If God's for you, it doesn't matter what they say. At all costs, 
above all, get and acquire understanding. And we'll put some more together on Thursday night. Let us pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we bless you for this opportunity to have gotten into your word this morning. Lord, we begin to understand some things. To stay in faith, to operate in virtue, we got to appropriate those things that you've already shown us. Lord, therefore, we understand that we can't just be hearers of your word, but we got to be doers, which means we got to take this thing serious. And so, Lord, we decide as an act of our will to use this knowledge that you've given us and appropriate that in our lives. That we understand that, Lord, even when things look bad, even when things look like it's not going to meet with success, as long as you said yes, we're already successful. We're just walking out time. So, Lord, we choose as an act of our will to concentrate on the virtuous things. We decide as an act of our will to cast and roll all our cares on you. We thank you, Lord, as we do so, that we'll stay in peace. We'll operate in rest, God, because we trust you. And so we declare by faith, all is well in our household. All is well on our jobs. All is well in your divine assignment. We will fear not because we know they that be with us are more than they that be against us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it's giving time. It's giving time. I want to look at the uh, Amplified Version of the Bible. Just based on some of the things that we've looked at and taught over the last couple of weeks, I want to kind of put this together here. And of course, I will probably insert a lot of the things I did not say uh, during these last probably three sessions on giving during our tithe and offering times. Amen. Proverbs chapter number 11 and verse number 25. Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 25. We talked about the fact that virtue produces generosity. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says this, out of the Amplified Version of the Bible says, The generous man is a source of blessings. And notice, it'd be one thing if he just stopped there, but he doesn't. He says, and shall be prosperous and enriched and he who waters will himself be watered reaping the generosity he has sown let me read that one more time he says the generous man is the source or is a source of blessing are you a generous person are you a source of blessing in somebody else's life are you i.e. just a taker you got your hand out but you never give your hand in to lift somebody else up he says, the generous uh, man is a blessing, always a source of blessing. And he says, and shall be prosperous and enriched. The generous man, not the stingy one. The generous man, the one that's looking out for somebody else and not just themselves. He says, that generous person shall be prosperous and enriched. And he who waters will himself be watered. 
reaping the generosity he has sown. No seed goes unnoticed from God's eyes, big, small, or otherwise. When we give, we give from a cheerful heart because we are trusting God. Once again, I decide as an act of my will to walk by faith. Whereas I begin to walk by faith, God places on the inside of me the generosity or the generous heart. And because I trust God, I give cheerfully. I'm prompted to do it. And God says, in exchange for you operating in wisdom and understanding of these principles, he says, I will in fact bless you more abundantly. You will be prosperous and you will be rich in your own life because you understand the law of reciprocity. Three ways that you can sow into the training center. One is by way of our uh, website, www.thetrainingcenter-church.org. Second way is by way of our cash app, dollar sign, one TTC. And last but definitely not least is by way of our PO box number, the training center, PO box 2358, Gastonia, North Carolina, 28053. And of course, you can sow live and in the house. Amen always are received by this ministry. I thank God for all those that have already sown by way of Cash App and those that have sown by way of the website. And we thank God for those that are sown live and in the house. You are, in fact, making it happen. You are being a blessing to this ministry and allowing us to continue to go forward. So we just want to set ourselves in agreement with you and your seed at this time. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that we are cheerful, prompt to do it givers. We thank you, Lord. Therefore, we are living under an open heaven in which the blessings are pouring out on us in which there's not room enough to receive. Because, yes, God, we are tithers and we operate by the principle of tithing and we also operate by the principle of offerings, all encompassed by being a cheerful giver. We thank you, Lord, that you rebuke the devourer for our sake. We thank you that we are blessed and we are blessed with abundance because we sow seeds as you determine we need to sow them. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one that are able to make all grace abound to us, that we are able to be richly supplied for every good work that you have set our hands to do. So we give you thanks and we give you praise and we say to our seed, go and grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone did say amen. Praise the Lord. Well, unless you need personal prayer of ministry at this time, you may be dismissed. Praise the Lord.